Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show. Truly appreciate you wrapping up your weekend with me. I'm here in the great city of Chicago, coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. 855-212-4227 to jump in on week six of the NFL. In my open there that you hear, you hear uh, the voice of Jason Benetti. Maybe you know Jason Benetti, maybe you don't. He is one of the most talented play-by-play broadcasters in the country. He is the television voice of the Chicago White Sox, and he works for ESPN where he does marquee college football games every Saturday. He did the Mizzou Ole Miss game this past Saturday. He also does college basketball, high-profile games there. He often works with Dan Dockich, Bill Walton, marquee games. He is immensely talented, good buddy of mine. And uh, he also has cerebral palsy. And... You should check out CBS News this morning did a profile story on Jason Benetti, and it was truly inspirational. We'll get Jason on the show when it makes sense sometimes. He does those StatCast broadcasts, uh, those alternative broadcasts that ESPN uh, trotted out. They did one for the wildcard game. They did it last season for a couple of games. I don't remember what the circumstances were, but you know Jason Benetti if you watch sports on ESPN, and uh, he's great, and he's a great broadcaster, but he's a better dude. So I retweeted uh, the video or the link to the CBS profile piece, and uh, I really do recommend people checking it out. It It is really just a story of a good person who made good. And I'm just really happy for my friend. So check it out because he deserves all of your support. Speaking of my Twitter account at Danny Parkins on Twitter, I had not seen this video of the high school football player who intercepts the ball in California last Friday, and then runs the wrong direction. I hadn't seen it. It's pretty incredible. Basically, so everyone go to my Twitter page, at Danny Parkins on Twitter, because we just have to discuss this for a minute. The guy intercepts the ball. The team is at his own, like, 30-yard line. All right? 25-yard line. He throws it seven yard out to the right side. 
Guy intercepts the ball at the 32-yard line. It is a six, seven-yard pass. And what ends up happening is instead of running 31 yards the direction of, you know, his end zone, he takes off, hauls ass, and runs all the way back to his own team's end zone. He literally intercepts the ball, turns, and acts as if he was a receiver instead of a defensive back. And he takes off in a dead sprint. And his teammate chases him down 60 yards down the field at their own 10-yard line and lunges and tackles him. Down by contact. So basically, it ended up being a 65-yard punt, but it was just an interception with a negative 52-yard return. It's one of the most staggering football plays I've ever seen. It reminds me of the scene in um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where John Candy is driving and... Steve Martin's taking the nap and he's riding shotgun and he wakes up and they're, they're on the highway and there's those people on the other side of the highway and they're honking their horns and they're like, you're going the wrong direction. And like, what's he saying? You're going the wrong direction. He goes, he says you're going the wrong direction. And Candy goes, oh, he's drunk. How does he know where we're going? It's like, yeah. How does he know? Thank you. The dude runs the wrong way for 60 yards. Just staggering how far he goes without ever realizing it. If this dude would not have tackled him, they would it it would have been on like the not top ten plays of Sports Center, it would have been number one for the history of forever. And it's just so it's so incredible. Just go check out the video. And if I'm not doing a good enough job describing it, I hope I am. Because it is just amazing. Like I he's wearing red. The guy who threw it is white. He turns around and not white, like Caucasian, like white in a white Jersey turns around and just runs the other way. And what's amazing is the offensive players, the guys on the team that threw the interception, they're also chasing him because like, what if he turns around and comes back and you know, they get in a situation where they's doing like a big, long loop de loop return. So they've got to they've got to do all sorts of crazy things in this video. It's one of the craziest football highlights I've ever seen. And I don't know if this guy like gets roasted back at his high school or what happens, but like if you're having a bad day and you need to just get a little bit of a laugh, watch this kid because it's harmless, right? This is a high school football player. We don't know the guy's name. It's no big deal. I'm not suggesting like doxing the kid or anything, but it's one of the greatest football highlights I've ever seen.
It's truly remarkable. And I just think it would brighten up your day. Like, you know, do you follow any of those? Like, if you're on Instagram, Twitter, or whatever, like most people are on some form of social media, Facebook these days. Do do you follow any like humor and dog accounts? I do. Because I read a lot of news. And the news can be kind of depressing. And I follow a lot of sports accounts because, you know, I love sports and I work in sports. But you got to just vary it up a little bit, right? Like, I'm a happily married man, but got to follow a couple good-looking people on Instagram just for a little bit of eye candy. Nothing wrong there. It's harmless. Got to follow a couple dog accounts just to, you know, oh, world's coming to an end. I lost money on this bet, this, 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 the other thing all these sort of bad stories and then you just got to get a you got to get a dog account every now and again to get a little left that's what this video is this video is the empty calories this video is the dog account this is basically the type of scenario where you just need a laugh every now and again in the realm of sports so by all means check it out his own teammate tackles it like i'm gonna just read you some of the comments if you think oh i'm driving around this guy's talking about a video that i can't watch dustin tweets in this is insane jeffrey tweets in i think that this is the best intentional tackle of a teammate i have ever seen david tweets in wtf was he thinking donna tweets in oh my god exclamation point great tackle jim marshall vikings like the, the tweets are just coming in incessantly it's re Remarkable. I highly recommend it. Because honestly, we all need some empty calories in our life. Looks like the Steelers are going to hang on and win. They're up 24-17. I think they just picked off Phillip Rivers at the end. Chargers out of timeouts. Chargers come back. Falls short. And... Devlin Hodges, third string, the duck hunter, comes in and wins the game on the road. I got to be honest with you, I don't know if we should count this as a road win for the Steelers. Nice job, good organizational character. I'm impressed with what the Steelers were able to do. They dominated that game, basically start to finish, but... If you watch the beginning or you watched any part of that game, the Chargers play in a 27,000-person stadium, and there are probably 26,000 Steelers fans there. It is a joke. It was a colossal mistake by the NFL to allow the Chargers to leave San Diego, to go to a city that doesn't want them, that went from zero to two teams just because, and I get it, it's money and it'll make them money and it'll make the league money and money's what makes the world go round. So I understand why it happened. I'm not naive, but these games are embarrassing. And it just, it takes some serious buzz away from a franchise The Chargers play 16 road games. They don't have a fan base in L.A. 
but everybody wants to travel to L.A. because L.A. is an awesome place to travel to. So the game's final. Steelers on top of the Chargers, 24-17. And it's just the Chargers now are a nomadic franchise. They're kind of like the Jaguars of the West Coast. Or it's like, oh, the Jaguars, okay, they got, they got some fans, but not really any home field advantage. They got to play a game in London every year. And just how many Jaguars fans do you know, right? Not many. And even the ones that do, they're like, eh, I live in the area and the jerseys are kind of cool. And Tony Baselli was all right. You know what I mean? It's very casual. Not a lot of passionate Jaguar fans. I can't imagine there's going to be many passionate LA Chargers fans. It's just an, like greed is understandable and the NFL is greedy and the NFL is a for-profit business. So the NFL now makes more money. The bigger footprint they have in the second biggest media market of LA compared to San Diego. But the sports fan in us, maybe the idealist in us, wouldn't you like to say, okay, your team's worth a billion five in San Diego. Does it need to be worth 2.2 billion to move them to LA and have no fans and sell your soul to the devil? I, I guess. And I don't know if those are the real numbers, but someone, a capitalist would come back. Not that I'm not one of those, but you'd come back and say, yeah, it, of course it matters. 700 million. And you're right. That's a lot of money, but it's all kind of negligible in the wash, right? Like you sold your soul. The Chargers no longer have a soul as an organization. They have 16 road games every single year. My guess is going forward because the Rams will be the dominant team of that facility because of the ownership group that owns the stadium. They'll be like, you know, the Jets and the Giants share the Meadowlands, but the Giants are the predominant team. That'll be what the case is, except with way less passionate fans. Because it's L.A. instead of New York. So, Chargers got to L.A., but if you watch that game tonight, that felt like a Steelers home game. Totally bizarre situation for the NFL to find itself in. A lot of people tomorrow are going to be trying to figure out who are the good teams in the NFC. I think we should expand that to the entire NFL. I got some questions about the Patriots, and I developed them even when they weren't playing today from Thursday Night Football. But Pats compared to the teams we saw. I'll get into that, plus your calls, 855-212-4CBS. It's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio, radio radio.com. Our toll-free line here is 855-212-4227. It's brought to you by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. We're going to have Ben Volan on in 20 minutes. He covers the Patriots in the NFL for the Boston Globe. And I think that the Patriots are the best team in the NFL, but I don't think it's by as wide of a margin as everyone's going to make it out to be now that the chiefs have come back down to earth, losing back-to-back games because the Patriots have beaten a lot of bad teams. They've got no real impressive win. And I know people would say at Buffalo. All right. Buffalo is fine, but Buffalo's not a contender. They might be a wild card team. 
They crushed the Steelers week one. Steelers no-showed. Nice win tonight for the Steelers, but Steelers one of the most disappointing teams in the league. Crushed the Jets, crushed the Dolphins, crushed Washington, crushed the Giants. They haven't beaten anybody. And I think their defense is good. I think Stephon Gilmore is probably the best cornerback in football. But I do think that they've beaten up on bad teams and bad quarterbacks to inflate some of these numbers. I mean, their, their defensive numbers are ridiculous. The Patriots defense has scored more touchdowns than they've allowed. They've played six games. That's impossible. But more of the critique of the Patriots isn't their defense. I think their defense is probably one of the three best in the league. But Brady, to me, is showing his age a bit behind an offensive line that is both banged up and not very good. Like, their running game has been very inconsistent. Brady needs a running game for play action at this stage, and he's been making some business decisions out there. Ducking out of throws, fetal position, throwing the ball at the ground on screen passes, talking out of turn a bit at press conferences. The team's young around him. And obviously Belichick's the best and Brady's a savant between the ears and they're still obviously the favorites to win the Super Bowl. So don't get it twisted. If I was doing a power ranking, I would have the Patriots number one also. All I'm saying is that the gap I don't think is as significant as people are going to make it out to be because I don't think their offense is that impressive. 855-212-4CBS is the number. Oh, all right. I made the analogy, so I'll face the music. Ronnie is in Jacksonville. He's on the Danny Parkin Show. What's up, Ronnie? Hey, what's going on, man? Chilling. How are you? I'm doing great, bro. Uh, a tough loss today by the Jags, you know. Uh, didn't get it the was. Game, they didn't. Like, they they should have given out 40,000 Minshew mustaches instead of 35,000. That's what slowed hey, them that's down. That's what I'm saying, bro. They messed up there a little bit. But uh, I I think we got I think we got a nice strong fan base down here bro you know like we've been through some tough times but uh as well as attendance might not show like you know i like to think we got a nice fan base down here i mean okay it's i'm sure it's fine but i think you would agree it's not one of the biggest or most passionate in the league right yeah i can agree with you there would you be totally shocked if the jaguars relocated in 10 or 20 years would would you be totally shocked honestly yeah i would be very shocked if that happened okay i think that they are if that's going to happen i would think that they would be on the short list of most likely teams to do and like it's listen man it's no knock it just it's the reality of it you an expansion franchise not that big of a spot not a historic football hotbed for for pro football like you know, already uh, exporting one home game a year. Like, there's there's reasons for it. So, it's not an insult. It's just a reality, right? If, if, if there's 32 teams in the NFL, someone's got to have the biggest, most passionate fan base. Someone has to have the smallest, least passionate fan base. I think you guys are close to the bottom than the top. Okay. I might feel you there a little bit. All right, but Ronnie. Good say. call, man. Spark that J for me, all right? Seems to be... Uh, Chilling out there, which is good. Relax yourself on a Sunday night. He seems to be taking it easy. That's good, man. Feeling the feeling the rhythm, feeling the right. Get out up. It's Bob bobsled time. Cool runnings. But yeah, just I think the Chargers sold their soul a little bit. And the NFL forced them to do it. 
San Diego got screwed in the process. And now in the interim, the Chargers play 16 road games because even when they're at home, they're on the road. It happens all the time. There's more Broncos fans than Chargers fans when they're there. There's way more Chiefs fans when they're there. And then when they play a team that's non-traditional, like the Steelers that have a massive fan base that travels and is national, right? NFL schedule comes out. If you're a diehard fan, what's the first thing you do? Where's the best road trip? Where's the coolest spot to go? When LA is on your schedule, it's often among the coolest places you can go. Mid-October, would you rather be in Pittsburgh or Southern California? I think it's fairly obvious. And so it's not like San Diego wasn't a travel destination also, but at least there they had passionate Chargers fans. That game on Sunday Night Football tonight was uncomfortable. So many Steelers fans in attendance. And I just, I don't think that's a good look for the league. Even if it does make them more money so they don't care about the look or the optics or however you want to describe it. You don't want to be in the business of completely alienating regional fans. And the product comes across better on television when the fans are into the game. That's why it's awesome to watch a game in Seattle. It's awesome to watch a game in Cleveland. It's awesome to watch a game in Kansas City. It's awesome to watch a game at Lambeau. That was not a venue tonight befitting of the NFL and Sunday Night Football. That cheapened the broadcast and it cheapened the product. Having that be all Steelers fans in that small stadium. It's just not a good look. Ben Volan covers the Patriots and the NFL for the Boston Globe. He'll weigh in on my Patriots theory and we'll go around the league with the biggest storylines from the day. 855-212-4CBS. It's all you after Ben Volan. This is the Danny Parkin Show. All right, welcome back into the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio, the Radio.com app, and Sirius 206. Really appreciative of my next guest, time. He's a busy dude. He's a very talented senior NFL writer for the Boston Globe, Ben Volan, with me on the show. How's it going, Ben? Appreciate you, man. Uh, yeah, nice. A rare weekend off for the Patriots, so it was fun to sit back and watch the Red Zone today and check out what's going on across the NFL. Yeah, so, all right, we'll get to the Patriots in a little bit because I'm just curious, but what was your top takeaway from uh, this week six slate? Um, just in watching the games today, uh, one takeaway was that I think this is a different Houston Texans team from what we're used to seeing, and I know all the talk may have seized on the Patriots and, and the Chiefs, but this was a big-time statement win by the Texans to go into Kansas City and knock those guys off. And Sean Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and that running game, I mean, Houston, this is – I don't think this is your father's Houston, Texas. I actually think they're pretty good this year, and they have a defense uh, that's pretty good on that side of the ball as well. Um, so that, to me, the Houston Texans are going to be a team to watch in the AFC. They're 4-2 and two now, and I think they're just starting to hit their stride. And this was a big year for Bill O'Brien. There's you know, really no excuse for them. They've got playmakers on both sides of the ball. Deshaun Watson had a healthy offseason. And they have a pretty good roster, and I think you're seeing that now from the Texans that this is going to be a, a team to contend with at the end of the season. I'm curious how you feel about my theory that because of Pat Mahomes' success and Baker Mayfield's personality, Deshaun Watson is actually underappreciated nationally. Uh, I, I'd say that's accurate. The Texans are not a big national team. Uh, this kid can play. I, I was a little skeptical of him. Uh, being able to to thrive as a passer in the NFL, but he's awesome. And 
for as great of an athlete as he is, he runs to throw. He, he keeps his eyes downfield, and he makes some big-time throws down the field to uh, Hopkins and Fuller. He's a very good quarterback, and like I said, having a healthy offseason I think is, is such a, a big key for him. Didn't have to worry about rehabbing and could just work on the offense and work on improving his skills. And this guy is, is ready to uh, explode. I think he's in the short list of uh, the MVP conversation right now. It's probably him and Wilson. And, again, going into Kansas City and taking down Mahomes and the Chiefs, I know those guys are banged up a little bit, and that defense isn't the best. But that was a big-time statement win for Watson and the Texans today. We're talking to Ben Volan, senior NFL writer for the Boston Globe. In the NFC, the story of the day is the Niners remaining undefeated. I guess at this point we have to consider them for real? Absolutely. I, I think even before this win, they were for real. Um, and, and just the, the second uh, undefeated team left, just them and the Patriots right now. The Niners are 5-0, and and that's in a very tough division. So they've got some obviously big games still ahead of them against Seattle, uh, a rematch with the Rams. Um, that, you know, the NFC is, I think, the far tougher conference this year. So even though the Niners are after a hot start, they, you know, still have to keep it going for sure. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, they're five and zero, and he's still kind of feeling his way back too. He's coming back from that torn ACL, and you can tell he's playing well, but he's still not quite himself right now. But he's, you know, he's letting it rip, and they've got uh, a really solid running game. Kyle Shanahan really knows how to run the football, and that defense that was. We're talking about statements, holding the Rams to seven points in their building. That was a huge, huge performance by the 49ers defense today and uh, coming off a game where what they hold the Browns to three points last week. So uh, the 49ers are a surprisingly complete team right now, and they're for real. And, um, you know, the NFC is tough, so it's, it's certainly going to be a tough battle for them. But they're going to be right in the mix uh, throughout the whole season. Who do you think is the best team in the NFC? You know, you got to look at the Saints right now. Um, 4-0 with their backup quarterback. Their defense is legit. I know that the Jaguars, you know, Gardner Minshew, uh, he, he's been a great story. But at the end of the day, they're still a little bit challenged on offense, the Jaguars. But still, for the uh, Saints to go in there and, and take care of business today, I think it was impressive. And like I said, for them to be 4-0, and Teddy Bridgewater's had some big games, but they've mostly been doing it with their defense. Um, and uh, who's the kid? Marcus Davenport, who they traded up for, traded the extra first-round pick to go get him last year. Now in his second year, he's really starting to break out and become a, a breakout defensive star. So, um, you know, the NFC, you've got to look at Seattle. They're they're playing really well right now. Russell Wilson might be the favorite for the MVP. Um, you're seeing the Cowboys and the Rams slide off a little bit, um, you know, but, but certainly, uh, uh, you know, the NFC has, has a lot of talented teams uh, at the top, and the Saints are probably uh, number one right now. Ben Volan covers the NFL for the Boston Globe, but obviously also covers the Patriots quite a bit. So they're clearly the best team in the league if we were going to do a power ranking. But I am curious, the Patriots defense, do you think that they are legitimately the best defense in the league or merely very good and a product of their schedule? I think when it's said and done, they're going to be a top five defense. And I don't, I don't think these crazy numbers are going to continue. Um, I mean, they're barely allowing uh, a touchdown per game and third down, they're only allowing like 13%, which the, the, the best team in the last 30 years has allowed 25%. So the Patriots, you know, these numbers are going to correct themselves when they play tougher games. Uh, you know, they, they have a stretch in November where they play, Dallas, you know, at Philly, at Houston, that's going to be a big game. They get Kansas City at home. 
They play the Ravens on Sunday night football. So they are going to get tested eventually. Uh, and even this Jets game this Sunday, uh, now that Sam Darnold's back, uh, might be a lot – or excuse me, it's a Monday night football game at the Jets. The, the, those are never an easy easy wins for the Patriots. So they'll, they'll be tested this week. But in watching this Sunday night football game, I mean, the, the Chargers are facing a third-string quarterback, and, and the Steelers are running all over them tonight. Whereas the Patriots, uh, I know we like to say, well, who have they played? But at least they're just dominating them and just overwhelming these quarterbacks. And Daniel Jones, who you know, look, I think has looked pretty good in his young career so far, came into Foxborough the other night and just had no chance of moving the ball against that Patriots uh, defense. And they've just been suffocating and creating a ton of turnovers and sacks and defensive touchdowns. So you have to give them credit for at least doing what they're supposed to do and just completely dominating these backup quarterbacks because I think as we're seeing in the NFL, that's no guarantee. A lot of these teams are so evenly matched, and the Patriots are still, I think, head and shoulders above most of them. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly the best team in the league, but um, I, I'm just curious. I, I have a little theory. I haven't watched every play of the Patriots or anything like that. It, it feels like when I'm watching Brady this year, he is playing – very conservative, even by his standards in terms of like avoiding hits, uh, just throwing the ball away, throwing at guys feet. I know they got a bad line. I know he's 42 years old. Is it like wishful thinking on my part that like father time's finally catching up to him or is he, am I right? Is he making more business decisions out there with regards to avoiding hits? I will say he does kind of, um, you know, give up on a play quickly sometimes like a screen pass when, when it's just not there, he'll just throw it in the ground real quickly. And he's pretty good. I mean, one reason he's made it to 42 and playing like this is because he does kind of avoid the hits over the years. So that, that is a smart attribute of a quarterback to know when to, you know, give up and live to see another play. I will say last year he had a tendency of really bailing on throws and bailing on the pocket quickly. And that hasn't crept up yet this year. I think he's been pretty good about standing in there and buying time and, and taking hits. Um, he just doesn't have a lot of faith in his offensive line right now. And, and his weapons are a little shaky. I mean, he really wanted Antonio Brown and they needed a, a star player like that. Cause after Edelman, you know, they lost Gronk last year and they've had a lot of guys banged up and it's just the, the offense is definitely a work in progress. And I think everyone expects the Patriots to make some kind of move at, at receiver or tight end, or maybe even both before the trade deadline, because they just, you know, they don't have great depth, and Edelman at 33 is kind of getting banged up. And, you know, James White, Rex Burkhead, these guys have been in and out a little bit. Josh Gordon's been inconsistent. Philip Dorsett's hurt now. They just they need some help, and they need some assistance. And Brady, he's also made it clear that he's not thrilled with having some of the younger teammates, too. They've got a few, you know, young tight ends, undrafted rookie receivers. And he's been not so subtle about kind of, get, you know, sending the message in his press conferences that he's not – doesn't want these young guys and he wants more experienced uh, receivers. So uh, I think we're all just waiting for the Patriots to make some kind of move here because they, they could certainly use some reinforcements. All right. Well, so there's an obvious name here. If I put a hundred K on the table and so you can only pick it up if you're right, does Gronk come back? See, I don't think Gronk's coming back. I know they, they keep talking about it. and He leaves the possibility open. Uh, I think that's, mostly a business decision on his part. It keeps him relevant. It keeps people guessing. Uh, you hear some of what he's saying in interviews, though. He's done. He's, you know, football was really tough on his body, and I don't think he enjoyed it much the last few years. And, you know, you hear the things like in one interview, he said, well, I would come back if they would let me skip practice all week. And 
I didn't have to stay in the hotel on Saturdays. And then, you know, I could just go to the game. It's like, okay, well, then you're not coming back because Bill Belichick would never allow that, obviously. And he's just, I think he's just done. You know, his body got so beat up. He's thin. He's healthy. He's feeling good. He's endorsing products. He's hanging out in Miami. I think Gronk is good right now. We're talking to Ben Volan, senior NFL writer for the Boston Globe. All right, well, so reinforcements for the Patriots or anyone else. Like, there's a lot of teams who could use upgrades. Who do you think is going to be traded before the deadline? You know, just I, I was, I've been looking at some of the receivers and tight ends, and, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are one team that kind of scream out. Uh, Mohamed Sanu is a, a wide receiver that I think a lot of Patriots fans have, have circled. Uh, they have uh, Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, obviously, and now they're one and five. And could they get something, a good draft pick from the Patriots for giving up a Sanu or maybe um, the tight end, Austin Hooper? You know, the other team to look at is the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, can the Patriots pry A.J. Green from them or maybe Tyler Eifert? It won't be easy. The Patriots are really tight on the salary cap. They only have like a million and a half, two million in space right now, so they'd have to you know, restructure a contract or two and, and create some space before, you know, so it makes bringing on like an A.J. Green more complicated. Another guy like Emmanuel Sanders for the Broncos, they're kind of out of it, although they did win today, and I think he had a knee injury, so we'll see what that's all about. But, um, you know, there are going to be some some veterans out there, and it's it's a little tough to predict. We're all kind of throwing darts at this point. But the Patriots clearly need to get Tom Brady another weapon, whether it's wide receiver or tight end. And, you know, Atlanta, especially with Thomas Dimitrov, the GM down there, used to be with the Patriots. That's probably a good place for the Patriots to start. A few more minutes with Ben Volen covers the NFL for the Boston Globe. Speaking of uh, the Falcons, you think Dan Quinn survives the season? Looking tough right now, especially at one and five. He'd have to have a pretty miraculous turnaround to make the playoffs. And I think that's probably what it's going to take for him to, um, you know, survive his job at this point. He was kind of lucky to survive it last year. They, they've gone downhill in the couple of years since they've won the Super Bowl. And last year they missed the playoffs. The owner made him replace all three of his coordinators, but he, you know, he survived, but he had to ax everyone and bring in an entire new staff. And that's usually uh, a pretty bad sign. And then to see how he started off uh, with a one and five record this year, there, there's too much talent on that team for them to be one and five. So he's got, I mean, the end of the season would be good for him. He, he's looking like a guy who might be a mid season kind of firing, but to, you feel for him too. I mean, this was a brutal one today. They had it all tied up at the end. Uh, and then they miss on an extra point. I mean, that's just brutal. But they put themselves in that position as well, and they shouldn't be on. You know, they shouldn't be down on the road to Arizona Cardinals. They shouldn't be giving up 50 points to the Houston Texans last week. There's just too much talent for the Falcons for them to be playing the way they are right now. Speaking of a team with a ton of talent, I don't get the Browns. Do you have a good read on what they are? Yeah, I, to me, I wonder if uh, Freddie Kitchens just has too much on his plate. It's like. You know, he's got to develop Baker Mayfield, and they've got to worry about getting the ball to Odell Beckham because he hasn't been getting the ball. And they got to find ways to get the ball to Jarvis Landry, too. And he's calling the plays. And, oh, by the way, he's the head coach as well. And this guy, you know, he's only been a coordinator for half a season before this year and never been a head coach, obviously. I just think Jimmy Haslam, the owner, put too much on, on uh, Freddie Kitchen's plate and should have made him the offensive coordinator and hired a more experienced head coach. I just think they need a little more professionalism. They have so many penalties, so many just dumb losses and games where they fumble away. And to me, that, that's just a sign of a coach who's just got too much on his plate right now, and, and they need to bring in a more experienced coach, I would say. 
All right, and then last thing here with Ben Volan, he covers the league for the Boston Globe. Do you think that either the first or second pick from the 2015 NFL draft, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, do you think either one of them is an NFL starting quarterback next year? Um, I think Mariota may get one of those bridge type deals. If, if it's not with the Titans, maybe, you know, a team that drafts a guy and then they bring in a Mariota just to kind of hold, keep the seat warm. But this was a bad day for both those guys. Jameis with the five interceptions and, Mariota finally getting benched for Tannehill. You know, it was only a matter of time, I thought, before that move was made. When they brought in Tannehill, it was a clear sign that they just, that uh, Mariota was going to be on a short leash this year. And we'll see if he ends up coming back next week. I think the Titans still may try to give him a, a shot and, and let him start, but it's going to be a very short leash. And, you know, Mike Rabels probably doesn't have the, the best uh, uh, job security either. Same with GM John Robinson. So they, they need to win some games. And Tannehill's. I, I think just as good as Mariota, if not maybe better than him. And, and Mariota's had all the opportunities in the world, but he's just not developing as a passer. And Winston, just too reckless, just you know, throwing all these interceptions and trying to play hero ball. And he's had some huge games. There was a, few, a couple weeks ago with, with Bruce Arians calling the plays now, uh, um, or running the offense, and, and Byron Leftwich calling the plays. Jameis had a great game a few weeks ago, but he's just way too inconsistent. So... Uh, no, if anyone's going to start next year, it'll be Mariota, but it won't be a, a significant starting job. It'll just be to keep the seat warm for someone else. Follow this man on Twitter at Ben Volin, V-O-L-I-N. Read him at the Boston Globe. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man. We'll do it again soon. All right, thanks for having me. No, we appreciate it. 855-212-4CBS, we hear from you, and we're learning a lesson. Too late for one contender. Maybe just soon enough for another. We'll get into it on CBS Sports Radio. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 